Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. I uh, just got back from Banff, uh, where we world premiered uh, North Unknown, the new film of Dave and I's Traverse of the Alaskan Range. Red Bull production uh, was received very well. It was uh, it was pretty cool to see that in a huge audience and see how everybody uh, laughed and cheered and got into it and got scared. Uh, my mom did quite a bit of crying who was sitting next to me. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and unfortunately it will not be on the world tour because there was a bunch of legal hurdles to take care of with Red Bull and the tour starts in like four days. So uh, unfortunately for those of you who are hoping to see it on the tour, that's not gonna happen, but we are gonna get it out in a bunch of other festivals like Telluride and Five Point and stuff like that, we hope. So I will keep you posted. Uh, follow on Instagram or Facebook if you want to stay tuned into that kind of thing. Uh, before we get into this podcast with Max Marion, a little acro hound out in California who uh, recently broke the world record and then was immediately broken after that, so he didn't hold it for very long, but still doing a whole bunch of infinities is pretty darn cool out of a helicopter. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to put out there that we, we got a pretty special show coming up. Uh, with Bill Belcourt. He's going to host the show. I'm just collecting questions from you, our audience, whatever you want to ask Bill. Uh, fire it through to me on email via thecloudbasedmayhem.com or on Facebook uh, through my page or however you want to reach out is fine. Uh, I will collect them all. I'll take a trip down to Salt Lake City. I'll set up with all our gear and he will run the show. So whatever you want to ask uh, the Yoda of paragliding, please do. Um, it should be a really fun show. Uh, we haven't done this before, but I think it's going to go pretty well. So yeah, ask your questions. This podcast, yeah, sat down with Max Marion. Uh, he was uh, suggested to me by quite a few people. Max and I don't know each other, but Max is a young guy, uh, tandem pilot out at Torrey Pines, uh, big time acro hound. Uh, was broke the infinity record a few years back, uh, which has then since been broken, but. Uh, still, he's been uh, competing a bit on the world tour, and uh, it was pretty interesting being able to sit down with with uh, someone who just trains acro. In fact, uh, one of the lines in here that I thought was pretty funny, when he does fly across country sometimes, but he finds it incredibly frustrating to leave a thermal with like 6,000 feet underneath him and just fly straight. He just can't handle it. He would much rather just burn all that altitude. So that's totally the opposite of, of how I think, and uh, I think you're gonna get a lot out of this. Uh, very articulate guy about our sport and uh, we had a good time. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Max Marion. When we die, some sick and some late, but at least I don't see you fly away. Max, awesome to have you on the show. Uh, I haven't had too many acro pilots, so uh, this is going to be pretty interesting. But first, uh, tell me where you are and, and, and what you're up to these days. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, right now, I'm living in San Diego, California. I'm working at the Torrey Pines Glider Port as a tandem pilot and uh, have a daughter who is one year old and four months. Wow, you're getting started early. I I was just reading um, about your infinite record, which we're going to get into here in a bit. You were 24 at the time, so that that makes you 28. Is that about right? That's right. Yeah, I'm 28 now. Wow. So what's uh, what's life like as a dad and a, and a uh, tandem pilot? Um, it's been great. You know, she's uh, you know she's well. Of course, kids are great, and she's been a lot of fun to have around. Definitely um, changed my view of the world a little bit. I bet. Is that, uh, you know, you hear a lot from people that have kids that it, it kind of slows them down when it comes to risk. Um, I, you know, I, we're going to talk about risk. I, I don't think of acro as being a particularly risky sport if, if done correctly. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, is it, is it kind of slowed you down in any kind of way or you still going hard? Oh, no, absolutely. It has. Um, I have definitely been trying to keep the risk uh, a little bit lower than I used to. But um, I think that's also happening just with age, too. You know, I used to push a little bit harder when I was younger. And now I feel like, yeah, I've, I've probably slowed down a bit. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm still out there doing acro. You know, I've invented some new tricks and um, still pushing pretty hard. 
Great. And are you, um, you know, I know the last couple of years you've spent some time competing in Europe and stuff. Is that still kind of on your horizon? Is that still a goal? It is. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been going over to Europe just, you know, when I, when I can, it's, it's kind of hard, but, um, I've been trying to get over there and compete just, um, I haven't been doing it as much as I would like because it is pretty expensive to go and, you know, spend a good chunk of time in Europe. Yeah, of course. When you, when you go to Europe, um, I, I know I read in your blog that you were doing some training in Olu Dennis. Do you have a, do you have kind of a favorite training spot? Is it right there at Torrey or, uh, where do you, where do you most like to train Acro? Well, you know, it's it's funny because Tori is really not the place to, to train for acro. You know, it's uh, 300 feet tall. Um, in really good conditions with the acro glider, you maybe get runs that are about 150 to 200 feet mm. um, before you have to come back to the ridge and, and you know, soar back up. So it's, it's really not ideal place. Plus, you, if you ever had any... Uh, mishap there where you had to throw a reserve or if just something went wrong uh, you know the ground's pretty close sure. so uh, I've got a couple other you know sites in Southern California that I go to um, Blossom Valley is uh, you know is a nice one for me if if it's good conditions you know you can get up uh, a couple grand um, I got a horse canyon uh, here and there and then Saboba for Southern California is probably the best acro training site. And is there any kind of, um, you know, is there any kind of support you can receive uh, as a U.S. pilot? You know, I know we they uh, just had Mickey Siegel on the on the the show uh, la- last night. I haven't put that up yet, but you know, in, in France and Switzerland and Germany, there's quite a bit of money available to pilots that are you know, at, at kind of your level, top level for travel and that kind of thing. Is this also, is there something, can you get support that way or do you get it through sponsors or is this all just self-funded? You know, I haven't uh, looked into too much uh, on the sponsorship side, honestly. My uh, my father is the owner of Tory Pines Gliderport, so he's been my biggest sponsor. Um, and then also the, the glider manufacturers that I've you know, used over the years, they've been uh, sponsoring me with wings and a little bit of money for competition and travel. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, does your wife fly? She used to. Okay. Um, she, she started, she got her P2. Uh, she had a little bit of an accident and, uh, and kind of, you know, slowed herself down. I do get her to fly here and there solo. Um, but she's mostly, taking a break from it since, uh, since she became pregnant. When you, um, when you've gone over, if you done, tell, tell me about the competition scene. And then I want to get into kind of how you started flying. Cause it sounds like you started flying at the age of 12 cause your dad owns the glider port there, which is awesome. Um, but tell me how, have you had success on the kind of the world scene? Cause I know that is incredibly competitive and they're doing, you know, everything's twisted these days and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty tight. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so my first competition that I participated in was actually in the U.S. back in 2011, um, and that was, I think, the last competition, acro competition that we had in the United States, um, and that was at uh, Bear Lake mm-hmm. up in uh, Utah, Idaho border. Um, and in that competition, I got second place, just behind Nova, because at the time he had just gotten the U-turn. Thriller, mm-hmm. um, so he was able to do some infinite tumbling and and uh, put on a good show. Um, anyways, my first European competition didn't come about until just 2014, and there my first competition was uh, the Son Show Acro Show, mm-hmm. and that was really great because it was a limited selection. There was only 16 pilots, and uh, definitely competing against some of the world's best, and that's where I actually did my first. Uh, twisted tumble. Was, uh, you did it in there. the comp? That was the first place you did it? In in the comp was, yeah, the first place I did it. <laughs> Whoa, dude, that's nicely but, done. But, you know, it's, it's great when you have the Rodriguez brothers, you know, Theo DeBlick and Horatio Lawrence sitting in the van on the ride to launch telling you everything about it. You know, they in the comp scene, in the acro scene, we don't really 
have secrets from each other. We, we're pretty open about everything that we do and share information. So, um, yeah, they they were all in the van with me on the ride to launch. They told me all about it and what can go wrong and do this, do that. And, yeah, so I just did my first one. And, of course, Theo DeBlick is the first one who, um, you know, whoever did it. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that guy is uh, super talented. Well, it, did you, you know, was that – was going to those comps and flying with those, you know, that kind of talent, was it, was it discouraging or encouraging I mean, in, a, in terms of, man, you know, for me to, you know, podium at a, at a, you know, an acro comp these days, uh, you know, is that something that's reasonable in your future? Or are you going to be able to train for something like that or do you even want to? You know what? I, I never really expect to podium. Of course, I, I'm going to try. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure you've probably heard of this place called Orcania in Spain. Yeah, of course. And it's, uh, I've never been there personally, but I've heard it's the world's best acro training site um, simply because you get lots of altitude and free refills. So these guys spend, you know, months out of the year just there training, training, training. Um, so it's, it's definitely hard to compete with them, but it's really great to compete against them in that sense because – Going into the you know the acro comp scene for my first time, I didn't expect to do all that good, but I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot by going and competing. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? So that's what I wanted to ask you about. I'm I'm uh, you know I'm a cross country pilot, and uh, but after the X Alps, the last time I decided I really needed to get a lot more acro training. I always had you know I, when I first learned to fly, I did a little you know tiny bit of acro, and uh, and it's just you know in the states it's it's harder to train because we don't have a lift over a lake anywhere like they have all over the place in Europe and uh, and even places like Organia are pretty hard to find over here. Um, and so I. I did a little bit of training at Garda and a little bit at Organia and um, you know, it's just such a different scene, but for me um, you know, it's, it's really exciting, but that just top to bottom and it's done so fast uh, for me, at least it got old pretty quickly. Like how do you keep your, how do you keep excited about it? How do you keep the passion in it when the, when the flight's over so quickly? And like Organia is a little bit different, of course, like you said, because there's free refills. You can just do it and do it, do it. And like, it's an awesome place to, to practice helis and that kind of thing. Like any kind of thing that's really technical because you can just do it over and over and over again until you're too, ex- too exhausted. But, um, you know, a place like, especially a place like Tori, how do you keep your, your uh, motivation well, it, it takes a lot, but it's, you know, just all about self-improvement. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I can't do everything perfect, especially not every time. Um, so it's just about improving yourself. And Acro gives you that, you know, that fine motor coordination skill uh, that, you know, is, is very addicting in a way. Mm. And yeah, the flights are, you know, obviously short. You can burn 3,000 feet in about two minutes. Um, if you're doing, you know, some uh, some really aggressive maneuvers, so it does take a very long time to, uh, you know, to train because it is limited. Um, I've done a lot of training, you know, by towing, like doing SIVs, and, and mm-hmm. done a lot of towing over the water. And uh, you know, even there, you can only get, you know, three, four runs in a day. Um, so it does. It takes a lot of commitment and it takes a lot of skill. But in my opinion, it's the funnest way that a, a paraglider can really be flown and the better you get with um with your maneuvering the lower you can take it and the more of it you can do so there's that trade-off too it, it takes a while to get to the point where you, you're comfortable and safe doing something like i'll oh, say something simple like wingovers um you know there's a lot of pilots that are you know that's the first maneuver you get into doing wingovers it uh it takes a while before you get good at them once you get good at them, you can take them low. You can, you know, do them right up against uh, the mountainside or the cliff face, or right down to the ground level. Mm. But until you get to the point where you can nail it 100 percent of the time, then you know you putting yourself in too much danger doing stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Um, if you ever, how do you kind of get over the mental hurdles of you know uh, getting into some trick that you're really having? trouble with uh or that's proving i don't know that's proving difficult 
Um, you know, how do you incorporate that into your training schedule when you've got, say, like a Tory, when you've got so little altitude? Is that, do you just not learn new tricks there? Do you go somewhere where you've really got a lot more height? That's right. Yeah. I, I would never do something new at Tory. Okay. Um, so the tricks that I do there are tricks that I have, you know, 95% or, or let's just say 90%. Um, I, maybe I, I don't have, you know, things like helis. For the most part, I can do a heli pretty much every time. But there are the occasions where I, I mess it up, you know, sometimes I even get a little bit dizzy doing it or I screw up the exit. Um, but I understand it well enough that even in those mistakes, I can still, uh, do it safely low to the ground. Um, so it took me a long time and, and, you know, in particular helis, I think are the, the hardest thing to, uh, to really get the hang of. Mm. So go out, go to a site where you have altitude or, or towing over the lake, you know, the, the safer, the better, of course, practice it, practice it, practice it. You know, I uh, get it you, uh, subliminally uh, concreted in your mind to where your body already knows what to do. Right. So, by the, and by the time you do it at a low altitude, you should already have the motor memory for basically any mistake that can happen um, so that you know how to get out of it right away. Do you have a, uh, is there, is there a scariest maneuver or is that, uh, you know, is there, is there a maneuver that you're still kind of like, Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, um, the McTwist. Okay. The McTwists are, um, are a very high energy off access spinning maneuver. And it's a maneuver where even though I have it, you know, pretty, pretty much down, I will not do it at a low altitude because it can, you know, it's just there's so much energy in the trick that's released in such a short time. Um, you know, it's it's a riser twist machine. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Hard to recover from. Have you ever had any? Have you ever had any accidents uh, training acro? You know, fortunately, I've never been injured. Okay. Um, I've had some accidents. You know, I've hit the ground hard i've hit the water hard but you know i've come down under reserve probably about 20 times or so um but fortunately i've never done anything more than scratches and bruises and and twisted ankles or something like that let's talk about that then what what kind of you know from the <clears throat> 20 or so reserve tosses which i think is just normal when training acro uh that shouldn't really wow anybody i don't think but um is that what have you learned from those? Because I, I had my first couple, my first reserve tosses training acro uh, last year over the desert with, with Cody. And it was really eye opening to me as a cross country pilot. Um, one, you know, kind of how long it actually takes. And then two, it was what was so useful about it for me was understanding, okay, I'm in this situation. This is going to take this long to recover. Yeah. I don't have that long. This is a reserve toss versus, you know, cause when, when we're flying cross country, we often, you know, when we start going bigger and bigger, uh, or say flying in like something like the X Alps, you've got to put your wing in some pretty dicey spots and you're often really, you know, scratching out from really low. And it made me just a lot more appreciative about, how dangerous it can be to be super low because you know if you're in certain scenarios okay i i need a thousand feet to recover from this certain scenarios you need a lot more certain a lot less um you know what would you well i guess what would be your advice to uh people getting into that kind of flying where a reserve toss might be necessary does that make sense like is there whenever i fly acro I always, you know, put myself in the state of mind of, okay, I'm going to, I am probably going to throw my reserve and what's it going to look like where I land or where am I going to end up? I never go into acro with the mentality of, you know, I'm, nothing's going to go wrong. Mm. So I always have to have that backup plan in mind. Now, um, with acro, you can do that, you know, cause you decide when to do acro. Otherwise you're just flying. Uh, with cross country, a lot of times you can put yourself in pretty sketchy situations where, honestly, you don't have enough altitude to recover. You know, mm. you're scratching low to the ground. Once you're below the 50 foot mark, if something happens, you know, you take a big whack, 
especially on some of those um, comp gliders, it's you, you're not going to have any time to do anything other than maybe stall it and hope for a you know a nice crash. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really important to understand the reserve system. Um, I come across too many pilots that you know, or in my opinion, too many pilots that don't even know how to put the reserve into their harness correctly. Um, let alone pilots that have never, you know, thrown it, never experienced a, a reserve toss. So it's one of those things that's really important to do early in your piloting career to to understand, you know, how the system works and kind of what is going what's going to happen, how much time does it take, um, and you know, be ready to use it. Mm. Like, uh, so you're talking SIV. Get your SIV under you. Yeah, SIV. You definitely don't want to. Uh, you know, experience a reserve deployment and, and ride into the dirt um, for your first time. It's always best to do it into in the water, a controlled environment. You know, yeah, do an SIV or if, uh, you know, if you have the ability, if you, you know, go to Lake Garda or something, um, just t- hire the boat driver to come and pick you up out of the water and go out and just try it out. Just go do it. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, talk to me about Talk to me about reserves because uh, I've heard quite a bit of conflicting stuff. You know, a few years back, I got a Beamer. Uh, I think it was the two or the three, three, I guess, and you know, was over in Europe with it and uh, was talked out of it. And now I've been talked back into it. Um, and I think most of the, you know, a lot of cross country pilots at least are using the the Beamer because it's, you know, it's steerable. And if you've got some time, it's great to have. Um, what are you using and, and, you know, what do you, what's, what should people be using these days? Um, personally, I've got the Beamer two as my primary and I've got just a, you know, a regular round reserve as my secondary. It's okay. a, uh, independence, Evo 22, you know, lightweight, um, 22 panel reserve. Um, I've used the Beamer about 10 times and out of those 10 times, four of them, I was able to actually, you know, use it and fly it because I had lots of altitude. Okay. Um, for acro training over the ground, I'd say, yeah, you know, it's, it's, decently useful the only problem with it is you can imagine it's got two risers two brakes so it has the same problem as your paraglider has it can get riser twisted and be unusable now it's it's still pretty slow descending but the only problem with uh with that situation is since it's directional since it's moving forward it'll always want to turn and track downwind and uh usually you're doing acro on a mountainside um, so if it takes you straight downwind, it's kind of taking you into the mountain, which can be problematic, you know, in, in certain ways. But mm. um, I, I don't know. I, I, for experienced pilots, for guys that, you know, have used the reserve, a, you know, a few times, I'd say, yeah, go with the Beamer because, you know, if you already know what to expect, you can deal with the situations. Um, but for inexperienced people, I, I would say it's not a first reserve. You get around, you should go and practice with it, get, you know, a few reserve deployments under your belt, and then decide if you if you want it. But if you have no experience, nothing to compare it to, um, I you know, I've seen a few people at SIVs that had beamers and it did them more harm than good. Okay. Do you do you also fly cross country? Um I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a cross-country pilot. I have flown some cross-countries, you know. My, my longest flight was about 100 miles. Um, oh, that's not too shabby. And <laughs> Yeah, no, pretty good, you know. And, and it's, it's funny because in cross-country, you know, you always get these great climbouts because you're on a really nice, you know, high-performance uh, canopy. You get these awesome climbouts and all this altitude over the ground. And then what are you going to do with all that altitude? Oh, I'm going to fly straight. <laughs> that just drives you crazy, I'm doesn't fly it? Straight to that mountain over there, that you know, next uh, thermal trigger. And to me, it's always, uh, you know, anytime I'm doing that, anytime I'm gliding straight to try to go somewhere, I always think, oh, what the hell am I doing? 
that's so funny. It's such a different mindset, isn't it? Um, hey, let's go. Let's go back to your your infinite uh, world record in 2012. You you hopped out of a helicopter, debagged out of a helicopter about 16,000 feet, and uh, and at the time blew away the infinite record at 374, which is just preposterous to me. Uh, awesome, well done. Uh, how did you? How did you train for that? And and because uh, it sounded like it was like suddenly you just got this opportunity to go up in a helicopter. It was, I believe, your first D bag. Is that correct? It wasn't my first D bag. It was my first D bag from a helicopter. Okay. Uh, before that, I had done you know D bags from paramotors, um, but I'd never been up in. I'd never even been in a helicopter before that that jump. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I. Uh, Basically, the, the training I did was just all by doing tumbling. Uh, so, you know, I would go do runs from whatever 3,000 feet and just tumble, 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 see that I had the tolerance. Um, I was getting to about, you know, 70 or so from three or 4,000 feet, getting 70 tumbles. You know, it felt pretty good. I could feel a little bit of soreness, but, you know, I, I felt like, yeah, I can, I can sustain that. I can keep it going for a while. So when I uh, when I did the helicopter drop at sixteen thousand, I mean that was beautiful. Just being up at sixteen thousand feet, you know, the altitude that uh, you know you'd probably only experience um, in in an airplane. You know, sixteen thousand feet, not just above sea level, but actually, you know, being over the ocean mm. at sixteen thousand feet was in, was incredible. Mm. Um, you know, at at Tory at my home site, uh, and then just you know did the did the D bag? It worked perfectly. You know, I I spent a lot of time really meticulously packing that uh, that D bag to make sure that it was going to work, and just you know went for it and, and nailed it. And while I was doing it, I, it's not like I was counting. I just you know went and went and went and just kept going until it, I thought, okay, well I need to glide back to shore now. And I, you know, I ended up counting after and we counted 374 and and it was like I, I couldn't believe it i thought i was maybe gonna just about tie it you know maybe just barely break it but to smash it like that it was uh it's a really incredible feeling yeah because what was it at the time it was 286 so almost by 100 and, yeah wow um yeah. and then and what is it now um so the same year uh, at right at the end of 2012, Horatio Lawrence uh, did 564. So as much as I smashed the record, he obliterated. Just obliterated. <laughs> Just obliterated. And nobody's tried it since because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous now, isn't it? That was a little ridiculous. And we talked about doing it again, you know, me and, me and him. Um, one idea, because, you know, 20,000 feet is about as high as you could push a helicopter. Sure. Um, so, so one idea to, to be able to get more altitude and do it again was to do a parachute drop out of a plane mm-hmm. um, and then debag from the parachute. Okay, wow. That would be pretty exciting. All right, excellent. Uh, well, you'll have to keep us posted on that. That'd be pretty fun to see. Um, at some point, I mean, is it... I guess that's just doing it for a record. I mean, that that can't be that fun to do 600 tumbles, or is it? I mean, isn't that just it, excruciating? It, it's it's hard on your body. It's an endurance challenge. It's like running a marathon. It's you know just trying to push yourself to uh, to see how how far you can go, how long you can keep on doing it. You know, so it's more a, a personal challenge than it is uh, a fun thing to do. Right. Um, we had a, a Andre Prashaska. He's uh Aaron Duragati supporter in the XOPS and a pretty accomplished uh, acro pilot. He broke the world record, Esfera uh, record, uh, this, this winter down in Mexico. I think also by, I don't know if that was a helicopter or a balloon. Uh, I think it was a helicopter. Did a hot air balloon. Hot air balloon, okay. Hot air balloon, yeah, down there. Yeah, I watched the video. I, I was uh, pretty impressed with that because that takes a little more um skill i think than just holding 
holding an infinite tumble. Yeah, he talked about it just being exhausting, and you know, I think it was nine. It was, uh, you know, this is this is I'm not at this level at my uh, in my acro, so you know, I, I I mean, I understand the difficulty of it, but uh, you know, he's talked about it being really tiring. Is that something you'd also is that is that a maneuver you're you're working on pretty regularly? Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I I can do these very pretty, you know, pretty solid. It's um, you know, since Paul Tackett's invented it, I had you know been trying at it. You know, basically he he told me the very first time I went to Aludnes in Turkey, um, he was there and he told me about it a little bit and he said, "Look, man, just if you're doing a tumble and you just throw your hands up and hold on and don't do anything." The glider will ease its way, you know, into uh, into kind of like a spiraling motion, mm-hmm. and it goes through a really weird phase where uh, it, it gets kind of slack and and kind of weird just on one rotation, and then you you basically are in a spiral after that, and you can check it into a sap, and that's how you do the asphera. Mm. So uh, you know, I I didn't get it that first time because every time it would go through that weird phase, I would panic and shut it down you know just slam the brakes down and, and stop it but um after i came back you know the the next time i went and trained i i did it you know and it was um it's a really cool experience the the Aspera. nowadays when people learn to do tumbling a lot of times they'll learn to actually come out of it anti-rhythmic so mm-hmm. they'll do an Aspera their very first time ever tumbling hmm Okay. Um, what would you say to, uh, you know, pilots that are coming up, uh, you know, they're getting better and they're, they're learning, you know, what, what would be, what's the kind of progression with, with your, your standard progress, the safe progression for acro? Um, you know, what would you, what would you say to them or what would you encourage them to do? Well, it's, you know, to progress with the acro, there's, there's a lot of guys that have been flying, less than I have, you know, that, that haven't been in the sport for as long, that are pushing harder and, you know, getting better faster. But the the problems are, with any flying sport always comes with the ground. Um, you know, people end up getting injured because they're pushing it low and uh, trying new things or things that they're not 100% with real low to the ground. So... You know, just the ground's your enemy. You know, only do this stuff when you've got altitude and always be ready to throw your reserve, know how it works, and know where you're going to come down if you do have to throw your reserve. Um, you said you're, you're, you're kind of making your living through tandems at Tory, but it, do I understand correctly you're also an instructor? Yeah, I do um, mostly tandems and a little bit of teaching, so I'm not making a living um, instructing, I do go out and, and instruct SIVs uh, occasionally, but you know, also just teaching people the the fundamentals, the basics of of flying, um, and you know, mostly what pays the bills is is doing tandems, of course. Tori is a great great place to uh, to make a living, and we're very fortunate the the few guys that do tandems out there that you know we're making a living flying there. Is it the tandem thing that keeps you? Okay, so I, I I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but you know when I first learned, um, you know, ridge any kind of flying is the most exciting flying there is. I learned at the point, um, and uh, but after a while, for me, you know, going back and forth on a ridge uh, got pretty old pretty quickly. Um, you know, Tori is magnificently pretty uh i'm not knocking it in any way but how do you keep excited you know kind of flying the same site uh over and over again is that is that because of the tandem just kind of seeing how you're affecting people your passenger you know seeing them all lit up absolutely you know i mean it's uh if i was going to go out and do a day of flying just for me unless it's a awesome post-frontal, you know, windy day, I'm not going to go to Tori. I'm going to go, you know, somewhere that's a little bit taller where I can get in some macro. But, you know, for the everyday, day-to-day, normal conditions where you're cruising about 50 to 100 feet above the ridge, it's great to just, you know, introduce new people to the sport. And, you know, I, I find myself every day just, you know, smiling and Every every passenger is different. They all have uh, different experience, and 
you know, some people have the time of their life and this is, oh my God, this is for me. I'm going to get into doing this. And other people are just kind of like, wow, this is terrifying. Uh, you know, don't, <laughs> don't turn too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No acro, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that turn was a little aggressive. Oh, I didn't like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the great thing about ridge soaring and, uh, and where you can really, you know, see ridge soaring shine is in your ability to fly low to the ground in smooth conditions. Mm. So you get a lot more um, practice with actually seeing the movement that you're going through. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, flying at 200 feet, 300 feet or, or higher, you don't actually really get a sense for how you're moving. You know, you, you feel slower with altitude. So if you get the chance to go ridge soaring, you can practice getting extremely close to the ground, um, you know, doing like mild uh, pitching mild pitch pendulum close to the ground or doing some sharp turns, wing overs. And that's where ridge soaring really, really shines. And it's some of the funnest flying you can do, especially if you do it in, you know, on a, on a big sand dune or something, place like uh, Dune de Pala or in, uh, in Iquique, you know, on, on a big sand dune where you can dig your hand into the sand and really just, that's when you really feel like you're flying is when you're flying close to the ground. Dragging your feet, dragging your hand. Um, that's uh, that's really my forte. That's where I have the most fun is when I'm right there, you know, scooping up sand or pulling leaves off of bushes as I fly by. Somebody once told me that, you know, if you're in other words, make it really playful is what you're saying, which I love. And I, uh, somebody told me along the way somewhere that I thought was so valuable is that every flight should be viewed as a training flight, you know, and that you, you can set yourself, uh, you know, even really mundane tasks become really fun in a site that you fly all the time because you're, you're challenging yourself. You know, you can play tag with another pilot, you know, or you can, uh, you know, follow the leader or, or like you say, you know, if you can get so dialed in that you can pull a certain leaf off a certain tree, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, I, I have a lot of fun at Tori people that come out to Tori and tell me it's boring, you know, after they've only flown there one or two days, you know, I've been flying the place since I started 16 years ago. And I still have a great time when I go out there and, and you know, I'll, I'll swoop the grass, you know, drag my feet, um, maybe drag the wingtip. If I get a little altitude, I can do some uh, some death spirals or something. Or, you know, just doing wing overs uh, kind of along the cliff face. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to, to stay entertained. And it's sad to me to watch pilots come out and they just go – back and forth, you know, straight lines from one end to the other, you know, just, you know, three miles this way, three miles that way. It's like, what are you doing? Right. Are, are you even having fun? Right. Um, so, you know, we get to practice a lot of launching and landing, you know, and that's the great thing, you know, at least uh, for, for training wise at Tori. And you'll, if you come at, especially at the end of the day on a glass off day, you'll see a, a handful of guys, you know, the regular guys that are always there. And that's all they'll be doing. They'll they'll hog up the launch site. They'll you know launch, turn, land, launch, turn, land, and get lots of practice with um with really coordinated maneuvers close to the ground. Hmm. Um. I imagine in your 16 years of uh, training there at Tory and and all the flying you've been doing, you've probably seen a uh, fair share of accidents. Are there uh are there some common kind of uh red flags you know are there are there uh things that you see more than others uh you know in other words can we put out a warning to our listeners like uh obviously complacency uh but you know are there some other things that you've kind of seen that you just go god darn it you know that's so preventable oh yeah absolutely i mean it's uh the most common thing that i see people messing up is wingovers and it's because it's, you know, of course, it seems like an attainable thing, an easy thing to do. But wingovers can, you know, really build up some energy quickly. And if they're mismanaged, that puts you 
uh, you know, higher than your canopy with, with no tension on the lines. So it can, you know, I've seen it more often than not result in, you know, something going funny. Uh, and, you know, maybe the pilot overreacts or does something and, and stalls the wing or, or this, that, and the other thing, you know, and then you're in the, the whole cascading scenario. So, I, I mean, my advice to, you know, the guys who are trying to get into doing acro is don't take things too lightly. Practice any new maneuver as though you're going to throw your reserve. Mm. Never take for granted that you're just going to fly out of a maneuver. No big deal. Mm. That's good advice. I remember early on, and we had Jockey Sanderson on the show a while back, and his his video, uh, Performance Free Flying, is so fantastic about that because it really set in my head. Uh, you know, That was back when I was first learning, and I was so excited about wing overs and stuff, and they talked about it being – you know, not this easy maneuver. It's one of the more advanced maneuvers and to do it well, it's one of the really more advanced maneuvers. You know, there are a lot of other maneuvers in acro that I think are much easier, you know, to, to really do it well. Like you said, you're, you're basically looping back and forth. You're way over your wing. And so if you screw up that timing, things get ugly. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, early on you said, you know, doing wing overs is really fun, but you're right. It's uh, I, I think it's a pretty advanced move. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, um, you know, I've blown my fair share of wingovers when I was learning to do it. Um, it. It took me a while to figure out the finesse, you know, and there's usually two ways that people do the wingovers wrong. They'll either be overly aggressive, you know, which was my problem, and that puts you up, up above the wing and out of energy. Hmm. Or they'll be, you know, underly aggressive, super sedated. And uh, the problem with that is it, it puts you, again, kind of sideways to the wing eventually with stuff getting light. So there's this in-between zone. If you're, if you're too aggressive, if you're pulling and leaning and, you know, slamming it too hard without the energy to do that, you'll, you know, put yourself real high over the wing and end up going real light up there. Or if you're real sedated and saying, oh, I'm just going to take it mellow, well, once you pass that 90-degree mark, you know, all, all bets are off. You can, you know, not have enough energy to, to complete the turn. So it's, um, you know, it's a big finesse mover, maneuver. It's one of the first ones that we learn as, you know, pilots that are trying to get into the aerobatic side of paragliding. And it's one of the most important maneuvers uh, to, to really understand. There are other maneuvers that look cooler, that are more advanced, that are way, way easier. Um, and honestly, tumbling is is one of them. <laughs> tumbling, doing an infinite tumble, is actually easier than doing wingovers. That's yeah, that's amazing to me. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's pretty funny. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't have the luxury of having water where we are, and so you know, it's it's something I really want to do is is learn how to tumble. But I'm just I just don't want to be doing that over the dirt. <laughs> I'd like to learn that over the water first and get it really super dialed, and then, and then. But the rest of the stuff, you know, helis and all that kind of thing, I'm pretty comfortable now doing over the dirt because you just you learn to obey you know certain height things. And like you said, be not afraid to, to use your reserve. And then I think it's actually pretty safe, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm not recommending this to our listeners. I'm just saying that's, that's, that's where I'm doing it right now. But, um, well, cool. And Max, what is your, what does the future look like for you? If you could, you know, pave your, pave your next five years, do you even do that? Or are you, are you a planner? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, it was pretty evident, even with my uh, record attempt, it was, uh, you know, what happened, the, the way I was able to do that record is, uh, you know, this uh, this guy came to Tory and he was talking with my dad. He turned out to be the owner of uh, a local helicopter company called Corporate Helicopters. And, uh, you know, I, my dad knew I had been practicing. I was already practicing doing duration tumbling um, you know, before I, I even thought about doing the record. And, uh, you know, he asked him, hey, would you give my son a ride up to altitude in one of your helicopters? And the guy said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, he, he sponsored the helicopter flight and, you know, took me up to altitude. 
Wicked. Yeah, just spur of the moment. I love that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned right at the top of the show, you said you're you're working on some new maneuvers. Uh, I don't want you to give away any, any secrets if you don't want to, but um, I've always thought that was fascinating. Just had so much respect for the Rodriguez brothers and Tackett's for, you know, coming up with. I just, you know, how, how does that, what does that process look like? What do you, what are you working on, if you can say? Um it, Oh yeah, um, you know I've already uh, done them. I you know posted the videos and everything. Um, you know new maneuvers. We already know every real maneuver that uh, that a paraglider is capable of. So the new maneuvers all now have to do with twisting the risers, or uh, you know my new additions have been uh, doing a 360 degree riser twist during a tumble. So that was uh, that was the first one I wow. did. Um, originally, Rodriguez pioneered this uh, this maneuver called the Devil's Twist, and the Devil's Twist is you, you're doing a heli, right? You twist the risers one way, and then you do a, a 360 degree twist to where you end up twisted the other way. Okay, you know, it, during, in the, during a in the maneuver in the helicopter, okay. yeah, in the maneuver. So you're wow. you're twisting from one direction to the other. And so I took that, I, I tried, to, you know, that maneuver a few times and, and I decided, well, you know, I, I think I could throw this just during a tumble. So in one rotation, um, you know, basically your body does a 360. Okay. So really interesting feeling. And, uh, and you know, it, it really, it wasn't a, a super complicated maneuver to, to invent. And, and once I posted the video, a few other guys started doing it. So it became, um, a pretty cool thing to do for the twisted asphera, right? Okay. So you can imagine to do an asphera, you go sat, tumble, and then sat the opposite direction. So you start twisted, doing the sat on the one side, and then uh, you you build it up, and before you go into sat on the other side, you do this, uh, you know, what I call devil's tumble, this 360 degree maneuver. So you ended up twisted in the right direction. When you're doing the south the other way. Ah, madness. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, sure. Head around sure. that. Uh, very cool. And then, uh, you know, the other, the other maneuvers that, uh, that I invented were flipping during, uh, during a tumble. So, uh, so again, you know, somebody had in, you know, had done this, um, this thing called the, the flip install. So basically, you do a, a dynamic full saw, meaning you take a little bit of energy, and as you bury the brakes, you do a backflip in your harness. Yeah, gotcha. I'm um, with you. Yeah. So, got it. You know, so you, it, what ends up happening is after you flip and and the canopy comes out, your brakes are wrapped around, so you have to unwrap them or just grab the risers and do a front flip back the other way. Um, so I I took that again to the tumbling. Um, and I did, I've, I did it only in one flight and I've been the only one to ever do it where I did, uh, a backflip during the tumble and do a backflip during the tumble. <laughs> so wild, man. Do you think, um, these, these tricks like the backflip and the front flip during tumble, uh, or some of the other stuff that you've invented, do you think those will be incorporated into shows and, uh, uh, sequences in, in the future, like in competitions? So we've already written the uh, you know the rules the the scores and whatever for um, for doing flips either doing uh, the flip and install okay. or doing the the tumble flip and as of yet you know the, and this I I actually introduced during the World Air Games um, uh-huh. in well last year in Dubai and uh, it was you know we just wrote the rules. I attempted to do the the tumble flip during the World Air Games, mm. but just wasn't able to. So still it, out it there. Still has yet to have happened. We're, yeah, nobody's done uh, either a, a well any kind of flip during okay. a, a competition yet. So God, that would happen. Hopefully, that happen so fast. It'd be you'd almost have to review it on film to for the judges to pick it up, doesn't it? I, mean, I bet that I bet that happens pretty quickly. It, yeah, and and that happens a lot in competition already. 
um, where because the the judges, you know, you're seeing they're trying to write down what uh, what the person is doing, and the tricks are happening back to back, boom, boom, boom. You know, sometimes guys are getting ten maneuvers in a run. Um, so even already, there's times where you know after the scores are posted, people come back with their GoPro footage, like, <laughs> no, this is what actually happened. Um, so it wouldn't really be too off to uh, you know to say, oh, hey, look, by the way. Uh, I I did a flip during that tumble. Do you um, you know one of the things that I noticed over at Europe when you rock up at a place like you know Garda or uh, you know even Annecy, um, you know there's there's a pretty large community of of acro pilots. Are you do you have a community that you can train with there, or are you kind of doing all this stuff solo? Oh, here at Tori, um Pretty much solo. Uh, there's uh, one other pilot here that's, um, you know, that's a full acro pilot, and uh, well, well, a couple guys that are out doing acro, um, and yeah, we go out and, and do a little bit of training together. But it's not as big a, a community like uh, like it is in Europe. I mean, it must be fun to get together with these guys in a place like Dubai, or you know, they just had. The, did you go to the one in Annecy that just happened a couple months ago? No, I wasn't able to uh, to go compete this year. Unfortunately, uh, okay. I really wanted to, but just um, just couldn't. I'm looking at going next year. So next year, hopefully, doing the full comp scene, um, and that's what I'd really like to do. The only problem, of course, is that our our summer season is the same as their summer season. Sure. So you know, when I need to be working here, uh, doing lots of tandems. That's when uh, you know I, I should be over competing in in Europe. Cool. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, but just one one last question about the tandems um, is: Do you find tandems help or hurt your acro? Um, that's a good question. I've I've been doing tandems since two thousand nine. Uh, it's definitely helped in the way that I'm always at the flying site, you know, versus having a job where, uh, you know, I, I work, let's say seven to three, that was what I used to do. And then I would get off work and, and go and fly for an hour if I could, um, versus now I'm just at the flying site. So I can always drop work, you know, I can just say, okay, I'm not going to do tandems because the conditions are really good right now. Go out and do a little practice. And then you know go back to work, which is which is pretty nice. Mm. But um, you know I, I am getting a lot of flying practice. Unfortunately, you know flying around on a tandem doesn't really help you in in any ways with uh, with learning aerobatics. Sure. Yeah. We 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 hear that a lot in cross country. You know, a lot of pilots because it's you know it's, it's kind of the natural progression. You learn how to fly, and then you get you know you get your and maybe your instructor rating or you get your tandem rating, and then they always talk about that being the fastest death of of training for cross country is is starting to do a lot of tandems because it's kind of like the last thing you want to do is is you know, after a couple of tandems in the morning is to get your kit together and send it big, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, because it's work, it's, it's tiring. Um, and, uh, but then at the same time, there's, you know, some of the best pilots in the world are also pretty regular commercial tandem pilots. So I find it kind of an interesting thing. I'm not, I, I don't do tandem, so I don't, don't know much about it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you get a lot of flying time, but it's different. You know, yeah. it, it becomes a job. It's, you know, you're there to take care of your passenger. You're not just out there doing your own thing anymore. So, of course, yeah, you're going to take it easier. You know, you got somebody's, somebody with you, so you're not going to go all crazy. But um, you do get more flight time, more practice, more experience. That just will only get you so far. You definitely need to have solo time to go and, and practice whatever discipline it is that you practice. Sure. Great. Um, Max, I want to be, I want to be mindful of our time here. We're about 50 minutes in and uh, I used to end all of these with uh, the Proust questionnaire and I haven't been doing that the last few times, but I think you, I really would love to do this with you. This is just a few questions, uh, answer them however you want and then, uh, and we'll sign off. But that, thanks man. So here, here we go. Uh, what is your favorite word? <laughs> uh, piggy. Piggy, excellent. Least favorite word? Oh, um, hate, I guess. Gotcha, great one. Uh, what turns you on and what turns you off? 
And this doesn't have to be sexual. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, the, the, both answers are the sky. <laughs> Excellent. Ah, it turns I like you that. on to see a, a nice, you know, post frontal, lots of cumy kind of cloud day. Turns you off to see just a blanket of gray or drizzle and rain. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, and same thing with noise. What sound do you, what sound do you, uh, what, what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you, uh, not love? Oh, interesting. Um, well, I have grown to love, you know, the sound of, of my daughter kind of giggling, you know, making mm. her giggle and stuff. Ah, cute. And then, and then, uh, not love. What sound do I not love? Oh, Harley's. You guys are listening out there that drive a Harley. I hate you. <laughs> by my street, you know, and the whole house freaking shakes, and my daughter wakes up crying. So screw you if you drive a Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just said you just said hate is your least favorite word. So wow, you really don't like Harleys. Okay, awesome. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, you know what? I'm really jealous of the guys that work remotely. Any profession where you can just hook up with your laptop or your phone or whatever, and you can have your phone on your cockpit while you're flying around, go and, and work. I'm I'm pretty jealous of you. So it <laughs> doesn't really matter what you're doing. But when I see you at the flying site and and you're just like, oh yeah, I'm working right now and just taking phone calls and typing away on your phone, and then you go fly for a couple hours. That's uh, I think that's the way to go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and then what profession would you not like to do? I would hate to go back to construction. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you were in construction. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did before, um, you know, before working at the glider port. Um, I did concrete and roofing. Ah, okay. Um, so we're, the harder ones to get into. We're just getting ready to uh, remodel my kitchen, so I, I won't ask you to do my concrete countertops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, remodels are kind of fun, you know, when it's just, uh, when you're doing the whole thing for one room or so, yeah. um, or just for the house, you know, that's kind of fun. But when you're doing big projects, you know, huge concrete walls or, um, you know, doing the roof maintenance for an entire huge complex, it's a little boring. I'm leaving the questionnaire here for a sec, but I would just be curious, you know, at your age, you got a little daughter, do you see yourself... Um, sticking with tandems, is this going to be your, you know, your profession for a while? Yeah. I mean, my, my heart is at Tory. Um, you know, my, my dad's the owner, uh, Gabriel Jeb is the manager and, you know, I've, I've pretty much got my lot with those guys. So whatever, whatever we have to do to make the place survive and, and keep on going, uh, whether that's doing tandems or running the school or managing the office, whatever it is, um, that's what, that's what I'm going to stick with. Okay, last last question. Back to the questionnaire. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ah, uh, hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. What would he say? He'd say, Max, you spent a lot of time closer to me than, uh, than most other folks. So, you know, you, you're going to be one of my VIPs. Here's a big mountain. Lots of uh, lots of lift. Go have fun. Excellent. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Great. I love it. I love it. Um, cool. Well, Max, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, those of you who are listening, go see Max at Torrey Pines and uh, find out what his obsession is all about. It's a it's a fantastic place to fly and get hours and train. And uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to say, Max? Or um, And how can people find out more about you and what you're doing out there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can also visit the website, flytory.com, and, uh, you know, learn about uh, trips or special events like SIVs, uh, stuff that we're hosting. And, uh, yeah, just come and visit me. I'll, I'll sit down with anybody and explain kind of how, how Tory works and, uh, you know, show you how to have a good time out there if you're used to just flying back and forth on the ridge. Excellent. Perfect. Max, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show and I uh, hope to be uh, flying around with you at CloudBase sometime soon. All right. Same here, Gavin. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Flesh and science. 
I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, always cool to sit down with these great pilots from around the world. If you're just discovering the mayhem, I uh, invite you to go back and listen to uh, God, any of the past previous episodes. Uh, so many goodies there from Will Gadd and uh, Jeff Shapiro and Bill Belcourt and a whole bunch of European pilots. I've got quite a few of these in the can. Uh, I've got Mickey Siegel coming up in the weeks ahead. It's I just got to do the editing on that. Uh, I've got a great talk with Larry Tudor, a uh, real famous hang glider pilot back in the day. Uh, sitting down with Russ Ogden at Ozone here in a couple days. So got some great shows for you coming up as we dive into winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. As always, all we ask for is a buck a show. Uh, if you got something out of this or one of the previous episodes, you will find that donate link. Very easy to find now. We cleaned all that up on the website. You'll find it on the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. Send us a buck. Uh, it goes a long ways. I really appreciate it. The editing on these takes hours and hours and hours. And uh, yeah, I certainly appreciate it. See you on the next show. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>